Hey, are you a new subscriber? Thanks for listening to the show. Leave a review and stick around for our Ask the Expert with our friends from Insperity. So how I got started in pest control is obvious through my father. My name is Edward J. Sheehan. Joseph P. Sheehan, Colony Pest Management, Brooklyn, New York. So Colony Confidential is about money. I said I want cash. Business. This particular technician is the reason that we have to ask every potential employee and are you afraid of bugs? Get out of here. family. Of course, my beloved mother told me I hit the bottom of the barrel. They had sent me to a good Catholic education and now I'm the goddamn rat catcher. And he asked me if I wanted to take the business over and uh, I didn't hell at all. I hated pest control, but probably more so working for the family business. Working with family is the toughest thing you'll ever have to do. Or it could be the best. Mint. Colony Confidential. This all has to be edited, deleted, and burned. Miss America, all the ships at sea. It's Sheehan for Colony mm-hmm. Confidential. I'm here with my son, Eddie, from Arizona. It's a long time coming. We're all here, East Coast, West Coast, link up. My brother, Eddie, is in the pest control industry out on the West Coast. It is a family affair, truly. So we are going to get into it. Long story short, we're, we're on two different coasts. We're doing pest control. We're living in the same space. So I got a question. I know the okay. difference in pest control out where you are is scorpions, and we don't get too many of those. What else is the difference from Arizona and here in New York area? Well, there's a lot less German roaches. That, really? Ironically, it became something where, like in New York, if you don't know how to deal with German roaches, you can't have a job in pest control. Out here, crickets are the main food source for a lot of scorpions, for lizards, for the snakes. So crickets are treated like a real serious pest out here. People will hire you just to kill their crickets. Because they don't want the other pests that come with it. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Taking away a food source. So there's two types of crickets. I know that on the Big Bang Theory, Sheldon Cooper and Wallowitz were chasing these. I'm so glad that you're going to real sauces here. They were in California. I don't know what they, some ray cricket or outdoor cricket or something, an indoor cricket. I don't know. They were arguing what kind of cricket it was, and the cricket was driving them crazy. No, it's over here. No, it's here. Oh, we just went here. Cricket was pretty smart. He had these very intelligent people going crazy over this one cricket that was in somewhere in their vicinity. Anyway, when you find the noise and the noise stops, you're within three feet of them, then just spray that area and they're gone. See what we learned? Let me ask you this. What type of crickets do they have out there? Were they just crickets? Mostly we either run into the the general field cricket or we run into the, what is it? Jericho cricket, I think it's called. They're like twice the size. We had the locusts last year. I don't know if you heard about that. Wow. It's getting very biblical. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're in the desert. We had a bunch of locusts come down from the north. From the north? From Vegas. From Vegas. Yeah. It's so crazy, the difference. It's pretty far. It's I, not that bad to travel, but it's pretty far. Well, when you think about it all, damn. It's, it's, but when you start to have the pizza conversation, that's very serious. <laughs> and like, I feel like we take the pizza conversation more seriously than the pest conversation. What about the bagels? You're right. Pizza, bagels. That's another thing. Growing up with dad, one of the main things about being in pest control in this, Joey, because you're always talking about restaurants, we know where the good spot is in every neighborhood. This is the spot you go for a sandwich. Here's where you go if you want to get Italian. I moved out here and I'm like, where do you go for lunch? Like, where's a good spot? I'm going to be in Scottsdale tomorrow. Where's this good spot? I just stop at McDonald's or Subway's. I'm like, that just makes no sense. Wow. 
So pre-COVID, there was this pizza tour that we really wanted to do. It's $70 a person, and it, it hit three boroughs. It hit Brooklyn, Manhattan, and the Bronx. And it was two or three Brooklyn staples that we know. So you had the Farah's, you had uh, L&B, and you had something else. I don't remember what the third one was. You had two in Manhattan, which was like Joe's and Ray's or something like that. And then you had Louie and Ernie's in the Bronx. Okay. I've never eaten at Louie and Ernie's. So I was like, oh, we're going to do a COVID hit. And we still haven't done it. But that's a very serious thing for us, New Yorkers. It was not, Probably not daddy. Daddy's, whatever, give me a slice of pizza when you no, eat it. No, But you're alive. I like that pizza where you took us all to where the guy cut the cheese. And I also it. like the one on the way to your house, New Hyde. New, New Hyde Park. Park is good and clean. So, Eddie, you are you still working for like a Rent-A-Kill brand or no? No, they're the ones that uh, dropped me at the very beginning of the pandemic. I remember at the beginning of COVID, they dropped everybody that was at the top pay scale. I remember. Yep. So who you're with uh, just a regular company now? It's, it's Preventive Pest Control. They're a franchise. I think they're run by one of the manufacturers. All right. So, so either way, no longer involved in what we are what we spoke about yesterday but the big news when, and how we started talking rent to kill buying terminix you're on the west coast we're on the east coast what's the hubbub out there we can speak on what it is here in the east coast but what's the uh, word out there on the west coast what is everybody saying what are they thinking are you hearing anything the the only thing that i've heard is the, the sales manager at my office is very hungry because he knows that when these acquisitions happen, a lot of accounts don't get maintained the right way. When they got checkmate, what they held on to, 10% of it. Uh, yeah, so, they lost a lot. So it's open season on a lot of accounts while they try and figure out this restructure. It but, is. But the checkmate was bought out by Terminex, and they were screwing up everything they bought out. It was like you went to the beach with, with a pail that had holes in the bottom. But as long as you mm. keep putting water at the top of the pail, pail never got bigger, but you kept water right by the top because you had kept adding water. But I looked at their stock when they bought me out. I said, uh, within the three or four months, it was down like about 10 or 12 points. Then I started getting calls. I said, well, I got one of your accounts. I go, you didn't get any of my accounts. Yes, I go, you got an account from Terminex. You never would get any of my <laughs> I agree what, what your sales manager was thinking. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for all of us, but it is great because you're merging two of the top three companies, two of the top three. If you follow PCT 100, you have Rent-A-Kill, 1.5 billion B, and you have Terminex that's about 1.9 billion combined. They're very close to over $3 billion. And then the number one company, as of 2021, obviously we're going to 2022, but 2021, Rollins was at $2 billion, 90 million. Rollins, which is Orkin, is $2 billion. So you're taking the top five and changing it, and you have now two in the top three that's going to dominate, basically. 
So there's a lot of concern about it. I agree with you as sales manager. I'm super excited. I can't wait to take the business from them. But when you think about it, people are really starting to be concerned about antitrust, but they're concerned about a monopoly. These are the words that are being asked. Do you think it's a monopoly? And now the truth is they value this purchase at $6.7 billion, right? Now that can confuse the crap out of everybody because the... Pest control market in the United States of America is about $10 billion. And that's not an evaluation, because if you evaluated that, you'd have to add all the stupid shit that happens when you evaluate selling a business. But you're now saying that Terminex Rent-A-Kill has three quarters of the market. But <clears throat> is that really true? They've only not. got about one quarter. Right, exactly. Then the other thing, I was thinking about this since we talked about it. They don't have enough market saturation in any particular area where you could say it's monopoly. Even if they have 50% of the business, 50% of the business is not theirs. For it to be a monopoly, they would have to be the only option. So I think that's going to be an interesting conversation. A lot of people agree with what you just said. We start getting phone calls the day this happened. I'm not even entertaining the monopoly conversation, because I don't really think it matters to true small businesses. We're going to continue to do what we do. I had a great conversation on the ride home tonight, Jeremy from Rest Easy, and he said, everything is basically the same. There's nothing changing. We're going to continue to do what we do. But he had a good point where he said, up until now, we were service-based and the bigger companies were profit-based. And due to the current state of inflation and the industry, now more small businesses are thinking more profit as opposed to service, which is something that how doesn't do you always profit happen. without service. That's rent to kill. They've been doing it for years. Here's how it works, seriously. That bucket that you're talking about where you fill it up on top and it drips out the bottom. The ones that drip out the bottom are the ones that need white glove service, that need special attention, that need fast response for emergency issues, oh. and they drop out. And every time they start losing enough money where it looks like the business model doesn't work, they make an acquisition and now they got big numbers again. Oh, perfect example. We were talking about it. Our business model traditionally, small business companies, has always been service first, profit second. Give or take. So Yeah, it could be 51-49, but the split usually was service predominantly. So what Jeremy was saying is now, given the climate, inflation, the craziness of COVID with hiring, for the first time in a very long time, we are in the same boat. Not 100% where they're at, but what we're dealing with in New York is the big companies, they're playing the numbers in the hopes that we get back to normalcy, right? With a small business owner, I'm losing people that are making prevailing wage to 2 or $3 more an hour that are short-sighted and don't realize that they're going to go to a Terminex or an Orkin or a Rent-A-Kill or Ecolab. And in six months to a year, they're going to say, hey, you're at $26 an hour. You're overpaid. You're fired. Because the big companies, as you said already, and you experienced let everybody go at the top salary. It was sales. I know that two of the managers got let go during the pandemic. So they got, they even at management levels, not higher levels of management that I know of, but ops managers, even they got dropped. Yeah, I think it was like the second or third week when COVID first hit. 
all of the managers that we knew were told they were taking a 10 to 20% salary cut and had to eat it or let got let go. And then all the top pay techs or hybrid techs let go. But that is the difference from a family-owned business to a corporate. That is one of the main differences. As a small family-owned business, we tried to never let anybody go. During COVID, we try to figure it out. Whereas a corporate is, we need to cut 40, 50,000 in this region. Here's how we do it. And they cut it. So it's a huge difference. And it, I believe it is also why all of this consolidation doesn't mean shit because we'll still have the small businesses because people don't want to work for oh, those shoot. types of places. I was at Rent-A-Kill for five, six years. The way that they do it, the way that they pay the guys better is that they then really clamp down on the availability of materials. Like your route, you're only generating 16 grand for us a month. You only get to spend maximum $400 on supplies a month for that route. So you go in and you go, I need, I just ran out of this. I ran out of that. You make your list. That list goes over 400. They just cut it at 400. That's all you get. Really? Oh yeah, that happened to me more than once. Do you care if I drop range? Not at all. Okay, so we use Onslaught Fast Cap for the scorpions and spiders. Very important on the scorpions, especially, and in the summer especially, because they only need to get a very little bit of it on the feet, and they're dead. I couldn't get Onslaught for three months because they decided that the flyboards and the glue boards and everything else like that were mandatory, but Onslaught was one of these novelty use. Like, it's the summer. We have scorpions. It's not novelty use. I need that to do my job. So when you ask me about my callbacks later in the month, bro, you have 20 callbacks this month. That's a lot for you. You're right. It is. Where's my Onslaught? That's so crazy because... In the year 2000, 2001, I interviewed for rent to kill in New York for a tech position, making $15 an hour at the time. They were offering 12. They gave me the approved pesticide list. So the, the manager says to me, we're going to send you to get rid of roaches. What are you going to use? And here's the list. And I looked at him and I said, I'm not going to be able to help you. You're setting me up for failure. He said, what are you talking about? And I said, the two gel baits that you have here, this one hasn't been good for German roaches for two years. And this one, about nine months ago, came out and said that the German roaches have a version. And then they're not sure if they're, it's to the bait or it's to the ingredients. So if this is all you can send me with, I can't do it. And they're like, oh, you should be a manager. I said, what's well, a manager get paid? They're like $15 an hour. I said, well, I'm making $15 an hour now as a tech so if you want me to manage people and explain this i need more and by the way there's no way i'm going to be a manager if this is my approved pesticide list because if this is all we got to kill stuff we are going to fail and that's the difference with big businesses i think right like for me whether or not any technician that works for me believes this it's true if you come to me to the service manager and say this chemical doesn't work. We take it seriously. Don't say it doesn't work in general. You have to say, doesn't work for flies, doesn't work for this, doesn't work for that. And then we're going to say, where are you using it? And we're going to take it very seriously. And we're going to pivot quick, immediately. If you're the night tech service in a kitchen and you say this doesn't work for roaches, 
and you're servicing 90% of German roaches. We're pulling that chemical from you and we're giving you another one. We want to see what's happening. You have worked in the biggest system. You know how long that takes to get a chemical change. How long does that take in a big corporation? They only update the list once a year. And I think I saw three or four chemicals go on in six years. That being said, if you get a good ops manager, they do have a little bit of leeway. So if you get a good ops manager and you go, look, special project, or I'm having an issue getting control with this product. I'd like to use this other thing. I know it's not on the list. I had one good guy. I could go to him and be like, I need a product. You got to get me a product. It's not on the list. Eric won't listen to me. Yeah, okay. Eric won't listen to you. Go pick it up. And when they yell, they can yell at me because I gave it to you. That's crazy though when you think about it, right? Stuff doesn't work and it's, it's just your approved pesticide list and you let it go. Have you had the same hubbub with the rent to kill buying Terminex out there? Is it considered a big deal or is it just like whatever? Sure it is. I'm not working at management level right now. So I'm really only dealing with about five or 10 guys on a regular basis. And lately, because of the pandemic, we're not even really going into um, like education seminars where I would run into other companies and stuff. So I've talked to a couple of people at Rent-A-Kill. They're not worried about it. But here's the thing. Anytime you bought out a route or a company, somebody was getting laid off because they would mix with other routes you had enough guys you could put one or two stops a day in other guys routes and one guy's out of it yeah but i mean the people that i know that are at rent to kill their yeah. job is safe the guys that are being acquired the terminex guys they should probably be checking their back because when alpha got acquired alpha was the first place i was out when i came out here when alpha got acquired within six months there were Three of us left. No matter when you get acquired, you need to show your worth. And I think that's going to happen. And you're going to see, first of all, this acquisition is not going to fully form until mid 2022. So this acquisition is huge in so many different ways. Terminex owns a company in the UK that Rent-A-Kill went to buy and the, the UK government told Rent-A-Kill you can't buy. Basically, they said, if you buy this, you, you have a monopoly in the UK. That's maybe three, four years old. That's a $200 okay. million business that Terminex ended up buying. At that time on the podcast, me and daddy spoke about what was happening and, and how it really was suspicious. And we said, at some point, one of those two are going to buy each other. Either Terminex buys Rent-A-Kill or Rent-A-Kill buys Terminex. So now that Rent-A-Kill has bought Terminex, going to be very interesting to see how that portrays what that original 200 million dollar acquisition three years ago because you're going to deal with multiple antitrust laws from a u.s standpoint a uk standpoint and probably an eu standpoint because terminex and rentacle operate in those three spaces the logistics behind this purchase are not just American-based. Years ago, I remember Rent-A-Kill came into the city and their slogan was, in service to Her Majesty the Queen. So when mm. people, I'm looking at Rent-A-Kill, I go, oh, so you want to be in service to Her Majesty the Queen? I don't understand. Like, your money's going to England. And you got a lot of business off them that way just by that. So then they said, okay, Rent-A-Kill North America, because a lot of people were as smart as me and were using that thing in service to Her Majesty the Queen. It's 
basically it's still the company was was started in England. It still operates. I don't think there's a market in America where they drive around in rent-to-kill trucks. We were in Western trucks in Texas and Louisiana. They drive Presto X. Up in New York, it's J.C. Ehrlich. Yeah, it's Ehrlich in New York. And then York. Uh, down in Barbados, rent-to-kills down there. I'm sure they're on a lot of the island. But yes, and they're rent-to-kill there. So remember, rent-to-kill is the largest international pest control company. Think of it like that. And just remember that this is a dick measuring contest. No matter how you slice it, it is now a dick measuring contest between Rent-A-Kill, Terminex, obviously is out of the market. Okay, so just because you're making that comparison, I'm going to have to go with the, uh, the old line. It's not the size of the wave, it's the motion of the ocean. And now we're back to service again. I agree with you, <laughs> but look at what's happening. To me, this was a major FU to anti-CMEC. The company out of Sweden coming into the U.S. market. And this is a huge FU to Rollins because Rollins is 2.1, roughly. Rollins needs an FU, though, not for nothing. With their proprietarial tubing in the walls. And yeah, they need an FU. But that's what this is. <laughs> now, if they get their hands on Univar, then you're going to get the antitrust people because now they control the supply. But here's the thing. rent to kill owns Target, which used to be Residex, which... Residex was East Coast, Target was West Coast. When rent to kill bought all of them, they merged East and West Coast, right? Now, Terminex owns Paragon. Paragon distributes to every distributor. Paragon distributes to, name a distributor. You got Univar, which is Verceris now. You have Target, which is rent to kill JC Ehrlich. You have Foreshore, all of these companies. You have Target, which is a real distributor, and you have Paragon, which was Terminex's arm that anybody out there that buys anything from Leafatech, which we love mm -hmm. Leafatech and we buy First Strike, know when I tell you this, look it up. As of the most recent conversations, no distributor buys Leafatech directly from Leafatech. They buy it from Paragon because Paragon, who is, is an arm of Terminex, had the money, obviously, from Terminex to buy the amount of pallets. And then they bought pallets at a discounted rate from Leafatech and then sold it to distributors. And they, not only Leafatech wasn't the only one, there's a ton of other brands that they do it through. And Paragon is probably one of the top distributors in the U.S., so, so. which is owned by Terminex. So now, Rent-A-Kill has both. Both. So. Distribution on two levels. They have one a huge distribution arm in Target that distributes to all of us. And then they have Paragon that distributes to distributors. You could get even crazier. EQT is a technology firm that owns WorkWave, which is PestPak, Real Green, and everything that PestPak owns. But EQT is also part of the private equity that Anti-CMEX is involved in. So you take all that, then you say, this is how people get crazy. I just need to make my little bit of money, as daddy would say, and I need to get out. But Anti-CMEX basically owns PestPak, 
Real Green, Cole March, and all of Slingshot and everything. So oh, I think the real problem here to me would shit? be that they're buying all these supply companies and other things. And if they're doing that, they could raise the prices anytime they want and put the little guy out of business. That's a good point because right now. Thank you. So there is a chemical that we don't use and we'll never use that is being raised 44%. It's a bifenthrin, fuck it, Calstar. Calstar is being raised. Calstar is expensive. Calstar pints, effective January, whatever, is being raised 44% on the pints. Buy now, stock up. Buy now, stock up. Fuck that product. Fuck Don't that use product. it again. Because what are we going to do for termites? No, there's generics. How do you come in and raise something 44% and think we're just going to eat it? In a, in a market like New York, you don't run into too many clients that have pesticide brand loyalty. But I'm here to tell you out here, for the longest time, when I first got out here, you couldn't sell termite work unless you were using Termidor. Really? They were like, what are you using? Oh, we're going to use some Phantom, which is a really good product, has a good shelf life. Termidor lasts 10 years. If Phantom, it's just a different active ingredient that they haven't been exposed to. It's actually better for you because there's no way they have resistance to this product. But you're kicking water uphill. It's not going. You know what I mean? That's crazy. So we run into that in these smaller markets. You run into people who know the brand because salespeople who maybe aren't really selling service, they'll sell somebody's product and they'll use the advertising for that product instead of doing the job themselves. Ed is here tonight because he has no idea how to handle his Wi-Fi situation. Eddie, you would understand. I'm on the, I'm on the laptop last night. Everything's mm -hmm. working. I'm on the, the television for one o'clock in the morning. Everything's working. No problem. I get up, got up a little late today, 20 after 10. In the morning? Yeah. I, I know. I used to have like a lot of work done in the old days. Anyway, but I didn't go to bed at one o'clock in the old days. I used to go at 11. One o'clock was when you woke up and raided the fridge for chocolate. No. That's still happening, allegedly. Anyway, <laughs> I get up this morning. I let the dogs out. So let's see what's on, how the market's doing today. Feed the dogs. Go back. Television's off. I say, let me go upstairs. You have no internet. I go back down to the TV. It says, do this, do that, hit this, do that, pick the other thing. I told him the code. And the guy's hours and hours, but try this. How's I said, listen, pal, hold on. Finally, I tell him, hey, listen, let me tell you something. I'm a retired exterminator living on a modest thing. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. You would love where I'm teaching now at 32BJ, the union. You got a uh -huh. smart board. You got an assistant. The guy prints all your material that you need printed. And anytime I have trouble setting up something, guys there sets it up. You just click on this thing and videos come up. You got your screen to do your math. You can erase it. It's, uh, I don't have to bring no books. They supply the books. The guys are looking to get a better job in pest control. The only thing that it's costing me a fortune to park, like $36 each day. I used to get on the subway. Uh, I got this senior pass or something, half price. Right. A round trip was like less than $3 on the train. You'd be there in 45 minutes instead of an hour and a half, pumping through traffic. Yeah. 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 Uh, 
So I saw um, a meme, our generation is now the old people. Somebody was talking about how they were telling their kid back in the day when they wanted to get Netflix, it came in the mail. And the kid just rolled their eyes and looked at him and went, yeah, when I was a kid, the internet came by mail. Get the concept of a physical disc. <laughs> so TWA has a hotel at JFK Airport, right? It's called the TWA Hotel. It's really cool. They have a rooftop pool. The pool overlooks the runway for JetBlue. So you see planes take off. Oh, and in, right? Super cool. But I say all this because in the room, the phone is a rotary phone. They had to call me up. I had to show them how to use it. I have a video where I'm like, that's a telephone. And Cadence says, yeah, I know. I know what to do. I'm like, show me what to do. She had no clue. She didn't know what to do. It was hilarious. They really tried to stay true to the 70s and 60s. They had a lounge that was like a bar, but also had like bar food. And they had the old school, the old school the hell is that called where the planes where it shows you the, on the screen like the screen now is all digital where it shows you the, the plane remember arrivals back in and the departures days? yeah remember arrivals and departures. remember back in the day we're old enough to remember this because we were fortunate those white flipper things where it just flipped through so they have yeah. that in their dining area and it's all it's pretty cool i keep telling daddy to go obviously covid held them back but when we went with the kids it was friggin amazing they have an old TWA plane that they turned into like a lounge. You, you walk up onto the plane and the plane is set up with, it's mostly two tops. So like two seaters, but you're going to have two and two across from each other, but it's a plane that you go in and like you have cocktails, you could have like bar food and stuff like that. It was really cool. Good to jump on with my brother, get a little bit of the West Coast flavor. So <laughs> thanks again, Eddie. Thank you for jumping on. It was good to have you on. Get a, a little different Sheehan perspective, even though it seems like it's, it's always the same. We had the same teacher. <laughs> yeah. So the I same. think you had the same teachers. Yeah, a little bit. Well, some of them, a few of them. So we said it all. Hey, good talking to you, Ed. You got to do this again. You know how things happen. We scheduled this multiple times. Never happened. It happened today. Mr. and Mrs. America, all the ships at sea. This has been one of the best podcasts I've been involved in. Yes, they've said a few derogatory things about me, which were partially true. They're never always true. But they've said some good things, too. So, Mr. and Mrs. America, and all the ships at sea. Until we meet again, God bless you. What's up, everybody? It's Joey Sauce, Colony Confidential. We do have the pleasure, once again, having Jill Chapman from Insperity. We have your questions, and we are going to get to it. We reached out to our uh, listeners and had them send in some questions. Let me get to the first one, and it's, as a business owner, facing increasing costs of doing business, late-paying customers, looking for a deal, labor challenges, how do I communicate these operational nightmares to my customers and employees without sounding like a pity party? So this goes back to my days in public relations and some of the things that, that I learned when I, was, when I was studying PR. But I think as with anything, anytime you have some kind of bad news to share, my advice would be to date your issue. And then what's the solution and the why? Because I think people will do all sorts of things if they just understand why they're having to go through this. So if, if we were talking about, we've got to raise some prices or 
we've got to cut back on this or that for an employee. I think as long as you explain that whole rationale piece and how this new solution is going to alleviate the pain, I think people will do an awful lot. I have examples of when we've talked to companies and talked to their employees about issues that are going on with the company and asked the employees to help us to solve those problems. People will come up with some pretty creative things. And sometimes it's even things that would negatively impact them, but they understand what the issue is. They want to participate in solving the problem. And I think the more that we can just share the why behind any decision that we make, if we're making it without them, is important. But if we can include them in making those decisions, I think they'll go a lot further and people will be so much more understanding. And everybody knows it right now. It's a tough time for everybody. And so I think that there's plenty of people don't like it, but there's plenty of understanding, but they just have to understand the why. One of our biggest pivots, and we're not 100% there yet, but is to be fully transparent to the team. So everybody knows what everybody makes, not necessarily you specifically, but if you're a technician at level A through level Z, right. then roughly this is the pay scale. If you're a customer service rep, then you know this is the pay scale, management, et cetera. These are the pay scales. And somebody said to me, I want to say eight years ago, I just want to go to sleep every night and not worry about anything or not worry about more than I have to. I just want what shoe's going to drop. So I'm putting it all right. on the table. And eventually we know we're going to thin out the herd, but we're going to attract people that understand. With COVID, just speaking to this question about the, the labor challenges. So now in our service industry, you obviously it's hard to get people. So you have the top three players in New York City, which are the big companies, offering anywhere between 2 and $3 above prevailing wage an hour. So people say it's impossible to compete with, but, and it, it's really because our mindset is different. So they're going to pay people, they're going to pay to take from other companies like mine and others, whatever, but their corporation, as soon as this changes and it's back to normal, they're going to, they're just going to fire all those people. So we're still competing. We readjusted our pay scales and done all of these things that normally happen in February. And we did them all now. And we did sit with every team member and say, listen, you normally don't get a raise until February, but because of what's going on, we adjusted the pay scales and your raise is now, or you fall in a new bracket. So you're automatically bumped up. But I know what we've been preaching through the podcast is as a business owner, this is one of those times where your bottom line is taking a hit and you just have to eat it. You have to live with it and deal with it. You can try and raise your, your prices, but no one's going to be able to tell you, hey, I got hit with a 27% raise on all my materials, plus inflation, plus this, that, and the other. So your monthly cost is going to go from $60 to $80. No one's going to do that. It's very difficult to understand that, right? Because at the very least, you're going to shop whoever you are, including myself. I would probably shop too. So it's just a matter of if you were making 10%, you might need to get used to 5% for the next couple of years. Yeah, and, and maybe with a long, hard look at it, there's some other ways to change the business model that's not all pointed towards labor costs. But you guys have the other things. You've got the cost of materials and supplies. You've got the problems with the shipping that probably caused you to go up in your um, materials and supplies because it costs more to get them to you. So I know a lot of people in my industry, and they've been throwing crazy money 
after people in my industry. And all I can tell these people who want to jump for that carrot, that extra money is don't get comfortable. Don't go buy a new car. Don't go buy a new house. Don't get something because when they're paying that kind of money, the expectations are also going to match that extra money. So if you are having to maybe service X number of, of homes in a day, maybe their expectations that you add two more each day. Can you do that? Can you sustain that? Right. These big numbers that get thrown out for wages. I'm like, it's not sustainable over the long haul. I don't see how it would be. So if somebody's going to jump for that, they really need to think about it because I think the expectations are going to also be increased and, and they're not thinking along those lines. They're just seeing the extra dollars. Our, our selling point to the team was, this is what we can afford to give you. And the difference is that you are somebody that we care about that works for us, but you're not just a number. And when it hits the fan, like COVID, we did not fire you. And that's not how we, that's not how we operate. And that's really our selling point is the culture and the family, the branding of the company. And we've, we are paying what normally was above average. Mm-hmm. Just right now, it's not because these large $2 billion companies are struggling and they can afford to take that hit way more than someone in my position. So right. I agree. But Nobody should get comfortable. I, I think it'll, it'll all change again. But you heard about the great resignation, right? So yes. what we're doing, we flipped the script and called it the great rehire. And so in taking that time just to, to stop and talk to your employees and, and to share, here's where we're at, here's why we're here, and here's what we're doing about it. I think that goes so far to get them to understand and to see things that might not have been so obvious to them about, yeah, think about when the COVID hit. We all had to stay home for a while, but you didn't lose your job. You didn't lose your benefits. You didn't lose this and you didn't lose that. And those things are powerful, but sometimes you just have to remind them. You know, With all this COVID stuff, we no longer have anyone that doesn't buy into the company culture, which is great. One person was with us for forever and never bought into the company culture, but was so good at their job, we kept them. Yeah, you just put up with a lot of stuff. And the last guy that just left, he just wasn't, he was a great tech. Everybody liked him, but he never came to a company event, never participated in anything, never did anything. One time, seven years ago, two other team members basically kidnapped him and brought him his words were they kidnapped me that's why I'm here and brought him to the company barbecue in the summer and jokingly while we're there I said if you really don't want to be here I'll send you home in an uber mm-hmm. and he was like would you really do that I said if you really want to leave you're not comfortable 100% but I'd ask you to stay and see if you like it and he stayed mm-hmm. but that was it that was the one event that he came like to that. in seven years and so of course that's how I spun it to the whole team this is a good thing now Everybody that works here believes in the culture. And it, I think that you're going to see a change in a lot. And it's already happening. So oh, that's good. That's good. It's amazing how that works. Yeah, right. You get rid of that one apple or two, you know, bad apples. And now I, it just you just watch it. It's all of a sudden like a cloud just lifted off of your organization. And it's so hard, though, to do. I know. I, I've been in the same boat when I had my company. The person that I should have let go was the person who was bringing everybody else down. But it was the person who I felt knew my company the best, knew everything the best. I couldn't afford to live without her. 
myself and director of operations do these quotes every month in the newsletter. And, and I found one from Nelson Mandela that I've been quoting probably far too much for the past two months, but it basically says everything seems impossible until it's done. And I couldn't have quoted it at a better time. It was two months after we put our COVID mandate in place, which now we look like geniuses because everybody in New York City has to have COVID vaccine to right. work basically. But it was, a it was a rough 45 days and there was a ton of negativity, but we did it. So just an amazing quote. It's very difficult to constantly be positive, but somehow I'm pulling through. Coming up next time on Colony Confidential. What are some signs that I am micromanaging?